0: Well, good morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you um, on the way in, please stop me on the way out. We would love to um, reach out to you. we got these little gray cards if you want us to reach out to you during the week and say hey. Um, We'd love to do that. Karen, thank you so much for leading worship again. We really appreciate it. I don't know where you're at. Um, But, um, you know, we are continuing our our search for worship leaders. And so Jennifer, as uh, uh, as, you know... uh, filling in in the time being and so we've got some great people that have uh, jumped in and are helping us out along the way so uh, it's it's awesome and um, clearly the computer problem got fixed Um, so thank you all for your your patience last week as we uh, uh, it was it was a unique Sunday so um, cool so we've been going through psalms right we've been going through these like different ways um, that we worship right and and The context of this whole year we're going through like how 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 can we be equipped to proclaim the gospel better right and and part of that and we're starting this year with psalms because the way that we worship the way that we live our lives daily um, communicate the the genuineness and the authenticity of our faith right and so um, what we read in the psalms is all these different situations in which we can continue to worship right like like we can worship uh, we, or, or we do worship God just when we praise him, right? We're like when we think about all the great things that he's done and created and just how great he is, we worship. That's kind of like your conventional standard, that's worship, right? But then we saw that the psalmist talk about worshiping in our despair and sorrow, right? Like you don't have to like come out of your despair and sorrow in order to worship God. You actually worship God in your despair and your sorrow. We worship God uh, when we have hope, right, when we place our hope in him, not in the things of this world, we worship God by the direction we go to take refuge, right? We saw that, like, like we can go to all these different things for refuge, but when we go to God, that communicates the authenticity of our faith, that, that no can we believe that he is a source of refuge. And then uh, last week, we saw that our actual stillness, like our steadfastness of in the trials of life, when we stand still and not go towards, uh, what I say, apathy? I'm trying to remember my sermon from last week. Uh, if we don't go to apathy or obsession, right, in the circumstances that we're in, those are the two extremes. And instead, we stand still and we trust in God. Those are things that are worship. It's not just singing songs in here on Sunday. We didn't just end worship, right? We are continuing to worship, especially as we pour into God's word. And so this morning, uh, we've got two more of these. So this morning, and then we got next week, and then we're jumping into Romans. Uh, and buckle up. Um, but, <laughs> oh, that was to me. Um, you know, um, and so um, this week, what we're looking at is what does it look like to worship God for our salvation. All of those other things that we've talked about, right? Like in the circumstances, like, and we we talk about it all the time, right? That that God brings us peace and joy and contentment, right? And those are great things, and those are phenomenal things. But that's not it. He didn't just give us a life that 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 is uh, living life with the Holy Spirit is is better. It it certainly is. But He saved us, rescued us, eternal life, eternity. Do we get this? Like. Somehow we, we boil him down into how he, this little genie in a bottle that can help solve my problems in this world. And he's sitting here going, I'm giving you eternity. Eternity is at stake. How can we keep our minds thinking about that and worshiping God, not just for our day-to-day trials and tribulations and overcoming obstacles and all of these things, but worshiping God because he has continually pursued us to give us salvation so that's where we're going to be starting this morning let me uh let me start by praying father we thank you for this time we thank you for giving us your word for speaking to us through the psalmists, and and giving us the tools we need to worship you to remember who you are and what you've done and what you've done for us and i pray this morning father that you would help us have a keen awareness of the salvation, the eternal life that you promise us and your pursuit after us. And so we thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and we thank you for what you're going to do. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. We worship God by longing for his salvation. We long for salvation. I know we long for our next vacation, and we long for the next weekend. We are already in, we're, we're not even, haven't even started it, and we're already w- waiting for next weekend, right? We long for these things, but we're going to read from this, the psalmist, and, and Brian just read it, and we sang a song. Um, again, that, that song was based off of Psalm 84, and so we're, we're looking at these things, and we're going, I want to long for salvation. And when we long for our salvation, that is worship. It is. So I can't can't create that longing in your heart, right? That's the Holy Spirit that does that. And increasingly in measure through your life. That's sanctification, right? And so as we talk through this this morning, if, if you're sitting here going, I don't have that desire, that's okay. Go to God. He gives you that desire. He gives you that longing. And the more you're in his presence, the more your desire is going to grow that's 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 what the bible teaches us don't don't expect right and and I didn't really think through this metaphor real quick, but so this is pretty standard for me right so like when i've when I've deployed um, I think mean the longest I was gone was like hundred days right and so um, which is there are many people that have been gone for much longer, so I don't mean to to make that sound too significant but you know, at first, it's tough and you miss home. But then you get into a rhythm. You get into just what you're doing. You could tell. You could. You could talk to Melissa. And the number of times I I failed to call her on a night. You know what I mean? Or it's because you start getting into things and you start getting busy and you just you kind of have this new life, right? You kind of have this different thing. It's hard to, to your, your longing for something fades as you spend less and less time. And I came back, okay, right? So just so we're clear, I missed you the whole time, honey. But like that happens. That's just us. That's just human nature. And somehow we feel like that we can do that with God, that we can not be in his presence and go, I wonder why I don't, why I don't miss him. I'm like, well, you don't miss him because you haven't been spending time with him. And so this morning, what we're gonna see is, is Psalm 84 1. Listen to what he says. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. We're not gonna go to verse 2 in Psalm 84 for quite some time here. Because we're gonna we're gonna go through the Bible, okay? <laughs> because God's dwelling place is salvation. It is. In fact, that is. That is what God has been pursuing us for, that we could be in his presence. That's it. Eternal life is what? Being in the presence of God. And eternal death is what? Being cast out of the presence of God. That's it. That's hell, right? And that's it. It it is all based upon God's presence. And if we're in God's presence, that is eternity. That is eternal life. That is salvation. So the psalmist says, like, he longs for salvation. He longs to be in the presence of God in his dwelling place. All right. We're going we're to be jumping through the Bible here for a sec. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We saw this, right? Because what happens at the very beginning, right? God creates. Adam and Eve are with God. In the garden, he's walking with them. He's with them. The garden of Eden, before the fall. Everything is how it's intended to be. And what happens after sin? Chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from what? The presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden you see this is our problem there's a part of us that doesn't want to be in god's presence we don't we don't want to be there right this is this is like you know me trying to convince my kids that they want to come home for dinner right like come on we're we're a family we like being home for dinner right and they're like no i'm good thanks i'm just joking it's not but like but like that's we run from god's presence We don't like being in it. I mean, we like being in it when it's beneficial to us, for sure. But then when it starts to become challenging, we're like, I don't really, can I just do my own thing here? And this is what we saw, defining the results of sin, right? Defining sin, defining rebellion is running away from God's presence. But that's the problem set. And the foundational truth of the gospel is what? That God pursued us it didn't end there if it ended there we're done right like the the story of the bible this is this is pretty thin right there's a lot that comes after this right and that's god pursuing us trying to bring us back into his presence showing us the benefits the beauty eternal life that happens in his presence and we see this um god comes to abraham right he Abraham didn't just wake up one morning and try to figure out a way to get to God. God uh, revealed himself to Abraham and called Abraham. And when you go to uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 33, Moses would go to the tent of meeting. We're not going to spend a ton of time in these things. We're going to bounce through these. But Exodus would go to the tent of meeting, and that's where he could meet God. He could go into God's presence. Look at Exodus 33, verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. The Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. This is what the Israelites had while they wandered in the desert. Like, this, is, this was their interaction with God. God would come down and meet with Moses face to face. Like, there was, that was his presence, okay? So this, there's like this, so not only does God call Abraham, well, now he's getting a little bit closer, and he starts coming into the, the tent of meeting. And then what do, we, what do we read when we start getting with David, right? And David wants to build a temple. In fact, David goes, this isn't, God lives in a tent, and I live in a, t- I live in a mansion. I live in a house. This can't be. I should build a house for God. And God tells David, you're not going to do it. Solomon's going to do it. Your son's going to build this. Turn over to 2 Chronicles. Samuel, King, Chronicles. If you're thumbing through your Bible, if it's digital, it's way easier. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. This is at the dedication of the temple, okay? So remember, God's told Solomon, like, like build this temple. And look at what it says in verse uh, 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. This is like, this is the ribbon cutting for the temple, okay? This is what's happening here. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now, fast forward to chapter 6, verse 18. Second Chronicles six eighteen. Here's what Solomon says. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you. Your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the pleas of your servant, of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place. And listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. See, so Solomon understood that there was this weird dichotomy going on. He's like, okay, so so I'm building this temple for you. This is going to be your house. But you're bigger than this. (laughs) As great as the temple was, it just didn't make sense to Solomon, and it shouldn't make sense to Solomon. He was like, you're, you're so vast, you're infinite. How in the world could you dwell in this? And yet you, you're calling this your house. And so God comes a little bit closer, and he goes, here, this is, this is where you're gonna go. And you can come and pray, and I'll be here. Like, I'm gonna listen. And Solomon says at the end, you're dwelling in heaven, but somehow God is coming to the temple to, to dwell. And so what could the Israelites do? They could go to the temple, and they could meet God there. This wasn't just Moses now in the tent. This was the people, and there were all these courts, and we've talked through this in previous sermons, right? Like, you can go through and do the research, right? There's all these courts of how close could you get to the presence of God? And the priests, the high priest, could go into the presence, the holy of holies. But everybody else, right, One out further and further. You see this? So salvation is God coming closer and closer to us, bringing us closer into his presence. And it's, it's absolutely incredible because what ends up happening is this is what the psalmist is writing about, okay? This is the context that the psalmist is in. The temple was in Jerusalem. The temple isn't in Jerusalem right now. <laughs> I mean, there's something there. It's not the temple, okay? And so what do we look at? We look at Isaiah, right? Isaiah prophesies about what would happen next. So here's the temple. People were going there for sacrifices, taking their prayers there. Good Isaiah says in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a prophecy. In the midst of the temple being there, Isaiah makes this prophecy. You guys know what Emmanuel means? God with us. So there's something more. This is what Isaiah is prophesying. He's like, yeah, the temple's there, but... There's going to be a child that's born, and somehow he's going to answer what Solomon was asking. How will you dwell with man? This was confusing. This didn't make sense. And Isaiah says this, and and people still didn't understand it. They're like, I don't know what Isaiah means by that, but he's saying that God will be with us. All right, jump up to John chapter 1. So what do we what do we read then historically? What do we get to now look back and see? It says John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus comes and dwells among us. Exactly what the prophet said was going to happen. But how much closer now? God's got even closer to us. Now he's, he's in and amongst us. It's not, it's not like God's with us in some sort of like kitschy little way. It's like he was actually, like Jesus was in their presence. And so was this just a temporary thing? Kind of, but it was a means to an end. Because Jesus came to dwell among us, but more than that, what did he come to do? He came to take our sins away. Take away our unrighteousness and give us what? His righteousness. He had to come and prepare us for what? God to dwell even closer. What did we just sing about? His spirit within us, right? Look at, uh, look at John chapter 14. I promise we're going to get to Psalm 84 here in a second. John chapter 14, verse 17. even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know, know him for he dwells with you and will be in you you see jesus has prepared us he has taken away our sin cleansed us from all unrighteousness given us his righteousness Right? Not in that we don't have sin anymore, but that he has prepared us. He has tilled the soil of our hearts, if you will, and now what does he do? He leaves so that he can give us what? The helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, God, to dwell where? In us. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what, this is not, this, is, this was progressively, clearly, God is getting closer and closer and now to the extent that he is dwelling within us like we can go wherever we just saying that right no matter where i go god is dwelling within me as a follower of christ right if i've if i've given my life to christ and i go god i want to follow you i want to serve you his holy spirit comes and makes his home with us and he changes us he convicts us He produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. Not that we're producing that. This is the Holy Spirit that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, right? Like, all of those things, that's the Holy Spirit that's doing that in us. Why? For God's glory. To point back to God. To point back to his rescue plan. To point back to salvation that he's bringing to us as he's dwelling closer and closer to us. How incredible is this story? Like, right, as you put all these things together, you're like, man, God somehow, for some reason, wants to be near to us. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why he wants to be near to me. Because frankly, about half my life, if not more, I, I don't I don't reciprocate that. Maybe you can relate. And yet, God is steadfast, his love perseveres. Okay, ready? I got, I got two more levels here. It's not, that's not it. It's not just that he dwells within us. He dwells within us. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, the body of Christ. If you, if you possess the Holy Spirit, you are part of the body of Christ. There's this, right, we use that term in so many different ways that it kind of loses its, its meaning. But if you, if you dive through scripture, it's, like, it's clearly like there's a hand and an ear and, and a mouth and a foot. And, and Paul goes through what that means. Like, that means we're all here to reflect Christ together because frankly not one of us can reflect the holy spirit correctly or fully we each have gifts we each have different talents different treasures different different ways god intends to use us we just finished doing a spiritual gifts class that tim led and that's exactly what we talked about that god has if you've come in this door if you're part of the body of christ not not just not just this one just so we're clear right all of these scattered bodies of Christ all over the place that make up one huge body of Christ, all the believers, we ought to reflect God to this lost world. His grace, his mercy, his love, all of these things. We don't do it well. We do it better together. (laughs) Because in the times when I'm short and frustrated, somebody else is patient and gracious. When I talk too much, somebody else stays quiet. (laughs) This is, this is how God intends for us to reflect Christ to this world. And so, so God is now dwelling not just in me, us, each one of us personally. He dwells in this place. He is more, he is better represented now here with all of us present than he is when, with each one of us by ourselves. This is how God dwells. And now, there's a last step. Eternity. Salvation. What is that going to look like? Turn over to Revelation chapter 21. Listen to how much this sounds like Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Ready? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is the full climactic, this is the end state of God's pursuit of us. His rescue plan for our salvation. This is why we call this good news. Because it's not based on your works or your efforts or anything. This is God coming after us, coming closer and closer, dwelling with us. And the end state is that he will be with us. We will be his children. He will be our God. There's this intimate relationship. We go right back to Genesis chapter 2. Right back So that's the dwelling place of God. That's what we should be longing for. So what do we long for now then? As us, collectively, right? We don't have a temple that we go to to go experience the presence of God. How do we do it? We experience the presence of God by reading his word, his words, his love letters to us. We we experience God, we're in the presence of God when we gather together and we see grace and mercy and love and compassion and hospitality and all of these attributes of God expressed in the body of Christ. And then we long, we long for the day when those last words would be true, right? When every tear is wiped away from our eyes, when death is no more, and we are dwelling in the presence of God for eternity. That's it. And so right now, separation from God should hurt. If you felt that, it's not God punishing you. It's like, you're not where you should be. See, my kids should be at dinner. They'll have a much better dinner at home than the fast food that they're going to eat. I'm not even looking at them. (laughs) Right? They should be there. Is that enough of a guilt trip? Okay. You guys going to be home for dinner tonight? (laughs) All right. Now go to Psalm chapter 84 i told you we'd get there psalm chapter 84 verse 1 how lovely is your dwelling place O lord of hosts my soul longs yes faints for the courts of the lord my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living god this is passion this is this is a desire to be in the presence of god and the psalmist goes i want to be in the temple every day that's what that's what he's thinking that's not what you have to think. You have to think, I want to be with God every day. I want a little bit of God every day. I want, to, I want him to go with me. I want him to be with me. Why do we call it following Christ? We're walking behind him. That's the point. He's with me. He's walking in front of me. When I go out that door, he walks out first. He holds the door open for you. <laughs> this is the God that, that we're following So here's the crazy part. I said this at the beginning. We don't always want to be in the presence of God. We don't, genuinely. Like we know this to be true. We read Psalm 84, 1 and 2, and we go, I'm in church." So yes, I like that. But you fast forward four hours from now, and each of us might be like, I, this is what I was waiting for. You know, like, I, I enjoy church. I feel like I need to go to church feel like I want to be with the body of Christ, or maybe it's in the morning, I I want to crack open my Bible and I want to spend time in God's word. I just, life gets busy and I I got to get these other things knocked out first. I'll get to that. I'll get to your presence, God. This is our predicament. This is sin, indwelling sin that continues to live in us and we need to kill it. We do, we do. And and so what do we do? And this is where he's going to walk through this stuff as he's going to kind of build this up but here let me let me uh um, let me point you to um Amos as I try to find it in my bible this is one of those ones that you you tagged beforehand I ah, got it Whew. all right it's uh before Jonah that's not super helpful uh after Joel Hosea Daniel there you go Daniel Hosea my kids know exactly where this is and I do not it's cool all right Amos chapter 8 verse 3 listen to how he describes us when we don't want to be in the presence of God because this is what he says He, he goes Amos is describing when worship when this is just noise and it's not worship listen to what he says the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. wailings. that's what he's, that's how he describes it. Like, this isn't worship anymore. This is just people wailing, just people screaming. Like, this isn't, it doesn't even sound musical to God. says so many dead bodies are thrown everywhere, silence. God's commanding them, like, just stop. And you read this a lot in the Minor Prophets, where God goes, this is not what I want. And look at what he says in verse four. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over? that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale. Okay, let me just translate that into today's. When's church going to be over? (laughs) Yes, Ryan, it'll be about 12 o'clock. Um, it was rhetorical. I um, <laughs> uh, love you, man. Um, that d- d- we, but we ask that question, don't we? <laughs> we do, or we, or we say like, "I'm going to get through a chapter." You're like, "Oh man, that's a long chapter." How long do I need to pray in the morning? Maybe I'll just say a quick prayer. and this is this is all of us right like there's i can i can promise you there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't that doesn't fall victim to this it's just the reality and it should cause in us a longing for god's salvation a longing for his presence because we know that's where we ought to be we know that's the truth and yet you we know, go, how, how much time do i need to put in That's our predicament. But listen to what the psalmist says. In verse three, Psalm eighty-four, verse three: Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at the alt- at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. He's saying like this is there is nobody who isn't blessed. I mean, and commentators of like the, the swallows and what else does he say? Uh, sparrow and swallows, right? Like that's like, it's, it's kind of like these small little insignificant birds. Even they are blessed by being in and near the house of the Lord, by, by being in God's presence. And so what he's saying is like, like, we're gonna be blessed, but how are we gonna be blessed? Listen, listen to what he says here in verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. What he says here is not that being in the presence of God, like like being at the temple is not actually being in the presence. It's, It's where our hearts are inclined to. Even when we're out in the valley of Baca, which nobody knows where that is, but it's a valley and it's probably deserty. That's the point. Like they're they're walking through this valley and it's it's dry and it's barren and there's no water. And he goes, No, no, no. But like, like if your hearts are inclined towards Zion, towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, again, this is the context that the psalmist is writing in. He's going, that's what matters. That's where you're going to find the joy, peace, contentment in your life. That's the blessing. It's not just that you're there. You don't just get blessed when you're in the temple, and then you leave, and it's like, well, can't wait to get back. It's that inclination of your heart. So for us, it's the inclination of our heart. It's the Holy Spirit. What do we desire? Do we long to be in the presence of God? Do we long to gather with his people? Do we long to read his words and sing songs in worship of him? Do we long for the day when we will be with Him in eternity? This is what He's pointing to. Verse eight, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer; give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, our God. O God, look on the face of Your anointed. We haven't talked about Selah in a while, or uh, since we've gone through Psalms, we haven't talked about. It. It, it's it's just a breath, it's a pause, some sort of a musical thing. And again, nobody really clearly knows, but it, it seems to be a part of the Psalms where it's like, pause, ponder, take a breath, think about what we're talking about here. And so this is what the psalmist does. He goes, listen to my prayer. Where is there a prayer in here? It doesn't sound like a prayer, does it? It sounds like statements. I long for this. And we read it and we go, I want to say that. The psalmist isn't saying this as this is fact for him and you guys need to figure it out. This is a prayer for him too. He's saying, I, I long for it, but he doesn't always long for it. He wants to long for it. He had sin as well. He had the same predicaments we had. His was just probably agrarian. <laughs> but otherwise, it's the same. And so he this is a prayer. This is like where we read, God, I believe, help my unbelief. It's the same thing. We want this to be true. And then he hits his climactic thing. We all have heard these, and we probably, nobody probably could have said, oh, that's Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is not hyperbole. A day with God is better than a thousand without him. We don't even know what a day actually, legitimately in the presence of God looks like. But this is truth. This is what scripture is saying. One day, better than three years, Just one moment. This is our God. This is what dwelling in his presence looks like. This is the blessing. This is what he has pursued us for, that we would experience that. And so we get these little tastes of it, right? We get this. And it's good, and it should be nourishing, and it should fill us up. We go, God, I love this. I love gathering together. I love singing. I I love getting into his word. And then then when I'm not doing it, and I'm away, and I miss it. Frankly, I, I, you know, we all struggle at, at times with, like, our salvation. and Like, am I really saved? And, like, what does that look like? And I'm like, oh, I, sh- I should know that I'm really saved, but that's just theological. I've got a heart and I've got feelings, right? We all do. This, I want to long better for God. I do. I think that's the genuineness of your faith. I think that means that the Holy Spirit has given you that longing. Doesn't mean it's, it's going to happen completely right now. Certainly isn't. But that longing is a good thing. It's a, it's a guarantee, it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's what God calls the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold for those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That last line is critical. It's not the one who has perfect attendance at church. It's not the one who reads their Bible every morning. It's not the one who prays for 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. It's not the one who goes to the groups, and has all their participation squares checked. It's not. It's the one who trusts in him. It's the one who says, I believe that one day with God is better than a thousand elsewhere. If you don't think that, I'd ask you to, like, ponder that. Like, really think about that. Because it's not hyper, It's true. It's a fact. Read for you, Matthew, chapter twenty-two. In closing, here, this is probably one of the tougher parables that Jesus tells. Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse one, says, "And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, 'The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son.'" and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. This is is how Jesus is describing our God. He's, He's laid out a table up here. You all have a seat at the table. All of humanity has, is, is invited. Come. I've prepared this place for you. I've prepared this food for you. Come. Verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. If you want to, you can circle the bad and good. This is the open invite our God gives us. He wants us to dwell with him. That's what Jesus is describing here. He's like, come. Come be with God. Come be with me. Long for my presence. Be with me. And when you long for his presence, you are longing for salvation. And that's exactly what he describes and how he wants to build this for us and what he wants to give us. He knows that that feast is the deepest desires of our lives. His presence answers all of the problems you have. There isn't a single problem that exists in your life, in this world, that God's presence doesn't solve. So he says, come. Come eat with me. The difference isn't who God invites or anything like that. It's frankly who has an appetite. Are we hungry? The psalmist was hungry. He longed for God. His appetite, he, he was starving, right? Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's our food. Jesus says, my body is true bread. My blood is true drink. Like, like feed. Come to me. Dwell with me. And if your appetite isn't there, what do you do? What do you do, right? We, we see this. Medically, right, if you aren't hungry, if you go to the doctor and you're like, my kid's not eating, there's a problem. There's a problem. If I eat breakfast in the morning, I'm starving for lunch. If I don't eat breakfast, I'm not even hungry for lunch. I don't understand it, but that's how I operate. So if you don't have hunger, go start feeding yourself. Force feed yourself. Get into God's presence, and when you get into his presence, your appetite will be wet. You will become hungrier, because the Holy Spirit is going to be growing and changing and manipulating and changing how you feel about things and changing your heart, giving you more and more of a desire to be in the presence of God. Thank God, because that's how He saved.